actors, this is your final places call. Places. Half to half. Go. Orchestra, stand by. Go. Hey guys, this is Gabrielle Ruiz. Rick Negaron. And Harada. Hi there, my name is Jonathan Lynch, and you're listening to Bite Size Broadway, a mini musical podcast brought to you by IndieWorks Theatre Company and Judith Manicharian. It's the most wonderful time of the year, and we're back with a holiday mini musical that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. Today's mini musical is Krampus Night, book, music, and lyrics by Gavin Brock. Grab your family and settle in because today's mini musical isn't your normal holiday fair. While others are decking the halls and singing their fa-la-las, we're bringing you a cautionary tale. Well, let me not get too far ahead of myself here. Let's hear it from someone who is really there. That was me. Will. Between you and me, we only really ended up that way because I figured that being his friend was the best way to avoid a knuckle sandwich. So I kind of went along with things. A lot. Looking back, I regret it now. There's lots I regret. But you know what? I learned something valuable. A lesson in real friendship. It all started at the nativity rehearsal. Mrs. Goldman was assigning the roles. Bradley Norris, you will play shepherd number two. And Devontae Jackson, you will be shepherd number three. Somewhere along the way, Darius got the crazy idea in his mind that she might choose him for Joseph this year. Can you just imagine Darius Smith playing my husband? Gross! You better watch your mouth, Sally Ann. You threatening the teacher's daughter, Darius? Wasn't it bad enough you threatening the innkeeper with a black eye in your audition? I don't remember that being in the script. Darius was dyslexic, and he didn't like people to know. It's called improvising. Look it up sometime. Sorry to cut your conversation short. Was there something you wanted to share with the class, Mr. Smith? No, Miss Goldman. Very good. William Huntington, you shall play the role of Archangel Number 1 and... Sally Ann Goldman, you shall play the Virgin Mary. (laughs) The role of Joseph will go to Cedric Benson. And that leaves us with... uh, Darius Smith, who shall have the role of the donkey. Congratulations, Darius. A leading part. Donkey, donkey, Darius is a donkey. Hee-haw, can you just imagine... I hate you all! Darius! Darius Smith, come back this instant! Darius! Darius? Darius! I thought I'd find you here in the bathroom. Mrs. Goldman sent me to look for you. Are you okay? I don't want to talk about it. 
Try not to be sore, okay? Not everyone's gonna get the role of Joseph. Donkey, though? She hates me! Sure she hates you, but you hate her too, so I guess that makes you even. <clears throat> Look, when you come back to class, it stinks in here. I hate Mrs. Goldman. I hate school. They're all waiting for you. I hate every single person in that hall that takes me far for. Needless to say, I hate the I don't believe in Santa Claus. You really shouldn't say those things, Darius. Just because you're sore, you didn't get the role you wanted. Don't make me hate you, too. I hate that Mrs. Goldman's daughter gets the lead in every play. I hate how she feels the need to pick on me like every single day. Mrs. Goldman, and I'd give my new two front teeth to be anywhere but here. All the phony decorations, the phony snow, and the phony cheer that only comes to visit on the phoniest time of year. I hate Christmas and Sally and Goldman and I wish I could be any place but here you know I'm pretty sure Mrs. Goldman feels the same way <laughs> I can practically hear her whining about me now I loathe the chaos and the carnage all the debates and endless fights if I could I would restrain him with a string of Christmas lights if I That Mrs. Goldman's daughter gets the lead in everything. I hate how she feels, but must you pick on me like every single day? If I had one Christmas wish to welcome in a brighter year, is that I'd be any place but here? That Darius Smith would disappear. My friend, I think I may have just come up with the Christmas prank to end all Christmas pranks. Are you in? What? Say you're in. Darius! Will! I know you're in there! Return to class immediately! You did not receive a hall pass! If I agree, will you come back to class? Sure! Both of you return this instant, or you can say goodbye to break times this side of the Christmas holidays! Okay. I'm in. And Sally Ann won't know what hit her. Soon she'll live to rule the day. She ever dared to laugh at me and sneer at me that way. And you, well, you'll go down in history for making her finally pay. That's not very Christmas-spirited of you, Darius. What do you mean, make her pay? See you later, alligator. <laughs> <laughs> Darius! Darius, where are you going? You're gonna get yourself in trouble! But Darius was gone. After we were dismissed, I walked home alone, thinking about just what I had agreed to. What scheme was Darius hatching? That night, as I sat alone in my living room, all thought of Darius's plan went out the window when I received an unexpected visitor. It was not long after midnight, and I'd still not yet gone to bed. When the lights along the mantelpiece started burning flaming red, that 
That's when I turned around and saw it And it filled my soul with dread In the fireplace glowing emerald green A giant talking head And it said I come to bring a light on this eve of Krampus Krampus, I said. What's a Krampus? Before I knew it, the head had sprouted arms and legs until standing in my own living room at no bigger than two feet tall. There it was, a real-life Christmas elf. <laughs> What's a Krampus? <laughs> Sweet child, I thought you'd never ask. Did you never hear of old Krampus, who stalks like a thief in the night? His appearance so repulsive, it could turn you to stone with fright. Did you never hear tell of his cloven hooves or his look of fiery dread? Every bit as dark and penetrating as the horns atop its head. How he stocks the street on Krampus night with a portal in his sack. In which he steals away the wicked to never bring them back. And where does he take them? Those that cannot be saved are taken away to the underworld. And then what? Generally, we don't like to talk about that. We wouldn't want to scare the kiddies now, would we? But you've nothing to fear from old Krampus if you know dues for which to pay the price. Clever Krampus sorts the bad from good as we distinguish men from mice and meets out whatever punishments deserved. It all depends if you're naughty or nice. And how does the Krampus know who's naughty or nice? The naughty list tells all. At once the elf produced a scroll, the likes of which i never seen. Golden names appeared and danced around like writing on a screen. And at the top of the list was Darius with his catalog of crimes. My own name there right beside his is accomplice countless times. So how do I avoid the Krampus? I said, meeting the old elf's gaze. There's only one hope. The elf replied. And that's to try to mend your ways. Be not led astray by one who is lost. And consider hard the choices you make For when you're the culprit of the crime The responsibilities all yours to take <laughs> With a wink in a blink, he was gone Straight up the fireplace chimney, as if he were never there at all. I'm telling you, I never saw anything like it. Yeah? You sure you didn't have a couple too many jalapenos on your pizza before bed? I I'm being serious, Darius. It was so real. You made a deal. We shook on it. But the Krampus! Listen, I don't believe in Krampus any more than I believe in stupid Santas, Virgin Marys, or the disembodied heads of elves appearing in people's fireplaces. If you don't go through with it, it means you lied to me. And if you lied to me, I don't know if I could be friends with you anymore. Don't be like that. Well, I'm just saying. Darius, I'm not going to do it. You agreed, Will. I know I did, but I take it back. I'm not going to do it. What if someone gets hurt? No one is going to get hurt. It's just a harmless prank. That's all. You actually brought the doll. Of course. An original genuine Betsy Wessie doll. <laughs> Watch. Just squeeze her tummy like this, and. It pees. Is that it? I thought it would make more than that. Hmm. The doll must be empty. When my sister first got it, it would pee all over the place. I've got an idea. What are you doing? I'm refilling the doll. You can't refill it from the tap. Careful, Daria, she's gonna blow. She looks very full. Like a ticking time bomb. You sure you don't want to do the deed? You'll go down 
a living Christmas legend. Absolutely not. And if I thought there was any point, I'd be trying to talk you out of it. Well, then save your breath. When Sally Ann Goldman lifts the baby Jesus out of the manger only to find that it has been replaced with a Betsy Wetsy doll, never mind the nativity. This will be the greatest story ever told. You're insane. Oh, hush your mouth. Sally Ann totally deserves it. Whatever makes you happy, Darius. Just be careful you don't get caught. After school, I decided that if I couldn't persuade Darius to not go through with it, I'd have to fix it myself. So, when the coast was clear and there was no one round at all, I took the baby Jesus and went back inside the hall. William Huntington, what are you doing in the manger? Nothing, Mrs. Goldman. See? Uh, Nevertheless, you know better than to be up there. The set cannot be disrupted before this evening's performance. Come down from there. Here, let me help you. (gasps) What's that in your backpack? Nothing, Mrs. Goldman. I'll see you later. Walking, not running, Mr. Huntingdon. I'd failed. Why didn't I just rat Darius out? Because that's not what friends do. Or so I thought. Looking back, I wish I had. At least someone else would know what was going on before what happened happened. That evening, the nativity went ahead as planned. Well, kind of. Betsy baby Jesus couldn't hold it much longer. <laughs> Ew, it's all over me! Barry's water just broke! <laughs> it's not funny, Darius! Sally Ann rushed to her mother. Mommy! Slipping in the watery mess, sliding into the scenery, and causing the entire set to collapse in the class around her. I'm just going to pause it right there. The rest, as they say, is history. Though not in the way any of us expected. The next morning, Darius and I were called into Mrs. Goldman's office. What do you have to say for yourselves? 28 casualties, listing no fewer than three broken legs, two twisted ankles, a case of mild concussion. And a partridge in a pear tree? I'm pleased you find the situation amusing, Mr. Huntington. There are 28 survivors currently recovering in casualty who certainly don't. 
I have one third-grade child who had to have a plastic shepherd removed by a proctologist. <laughs> and don't snicker, Mr. Smith. So, which one of you is the culprit, hmm? Don't forget, Mr. Huntingdon, I have a vivid recollection of asking you to remove yourself from the stage around the vicinity of the manger just yesterday afternoon. Is that so? It was innocent, I swear. I was trying to put the baby Jesus back in the manger. Then why didn't you just tell me that at the time? Because I didn't want to get anyone in trouble. Mrs. Goldman. Yes, Mr. Smith. Now, I'm no Sherlock Holmes or nothing, but it sounds to me like Will swapped the baby Jesus for a Betsy Wetsy especially when he was the only one on the scene of the crime just moments before the incident, and he's trying to shift the blame. Come off it, Darius. This was you. This was all you. Oh, sure. Try and pin it on me. He's clearly lying, Mrs. Goldman. Just the other day, he told me he saw a Christmas elf in his fireplace. I did. See, I had nothing to do with it. Mr. Smith, please wait outside. I will speak to Mr. Huntington alone. Fine. Just don't believe a word he says. Thank you, Darius, but I will take care of it. Well? I have nothing to say. I'm sure you have more than plenty to say. You just don't want to. It's not right for someone to rat out their friend. I won't tell on Darius. Oh, no. So, it was Darius! Will, there are going to be some changes when we come back after Christmas. Given the gravity of the situation, I think you will agree at best that you and Darius be kept apart. Come January, Darius will be in Mr. Strickland's class. No, but he's so mean. Excellent. I think that's what Darius needs. For the time being, at any rate. And a little advice from one human being to another. Choose your friends wisely. Anyone who always gets you into trouble and bails on you when the consequences come home to roost is not your friend. But this isn't fair. I quite agree. If I had it my way, neither you nor Darius would be back after Christmas break. Consider yourself fortunate that you are not being expelled. But take it from me. This is your last chance. 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 After leaving Mrs. Goldman's office, Darius is waiting for me in the hall. How did it go? Will? Don't talk to me. Come on, Will. You're my best friend. Best friend? Is that what you call it? It's always you who makes the trouble, yet it's me who takes the blame. All these schemes and wild ideas of yours, well, they always end the same. Another black spot on my record Another red mark to my name Though I'm not the best judge of character That's plain to see But that sure as sugar Don't sound like a friend to me What are you saying, Will? That you don't want to be my friend anymore? You know what? Fine. See if I care. I didn't do this. You did. Oh, cry me a river, Will. Mr. Smith! It's your turn. See you around, Darius. At the time, I was determined that that would be the last time we'd ever speak. Little did I know, I would soon have no say in the matter. That same night was Krampus night. I was getting ready to sleep when Darius's voice came through the walkie-talkie. I got him for his birthday. Will. Will, are you there? I couldn't bring myself to answer. I just listened quietly on the other end. Listen to me, I know I've been an idiot. I should have listened to you when you told me about the elf. I saw him too, Will, on the way home from school. He told me it's too late. The cramps is going to get me. I wanted to speak, but what could I say? Come on, man. We always fight, and every time the next day, it's like nothing happened. I don't honestly know if I can wait for tomorrow. I need a friend right now. It's five to midnight. Five minutes until Krampus night is over. If I make it the next five minutes, I'll be okay. Are you scared? Scared? I don't believe in Krampus any more than I believe in... What is it? It's nothing. My own reflection. Listen, Will. Whatever happens, 
I want you to know I'm sorry. I wasn't a better friend to you. You were the only one that was ever there for me. Will. Will, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I hear something. What is it? From above. On the rooftop. Sounds like hooves. Like reindeer hooves? No. Not like reindeer hooves. Like something else. It's getting closer. Well, I'm scared. Just try not to freak out, okay? Breathe. It's here, Will. It's right here. It's standing in front of me. Darius? Darius? No, you've nothing to fear from old Krampus. That was the last time anyone heard or saw from him ever again. They say he was expelled, but I know what really happened. You want to know the saddest thing of all? After he was gone, nobody missed him. That was Krampus Night, book, music, and lyrics by Gavin Brock, starring Justin Sardella as Will, Donovan Louis Bazemore as Darius, Sierra Ryan as Mrs. Goldman, Skylar Matthews as Sally Ann, and Darius Rose as the Elf. Krampus Night was recorded at Threshold Studios in New York City with direction by Christopher Michaels, music direction and orchestrations by Louis Donowski, sound design by Sean Haggerty, post-production by Mike Luno, and casting by Gregory Jafari Van Acker of the Casting Collaborative. Lights and main curtains, stand by. We'll be right back after this brief intermission for a talk back with Gavin Brock about writing musicals for children, adapting theater for international audiences, his brand new holiday book, and more when we return right after this. Lights and main curtain, go. It's a quick intermission, folks. Let's make it quick. Hey there. Enjoying the show so far? Want even more out of your bite-sized Broadway experience? Get full-color digital playbills, early singles and episodes, and exclusive backstage access to other exciting rewards and extras by becoming a Patreon subscriber. For as little as $3 a month, you can unlock perks you just won't find anywhere else. We're giving you a peek behind the curtain to see just what goes into making a mini-musical podcast. Plus, a chance to speak directly to the artists in monthly AMAs. Places for Act 2, everybody. Places. Ooh, looks like Act 2 is about to start. Visit patreon.com slash bitesizebroadway to find out how you can become a subscriber today. Sorry. Enjoy the rest of the show. Lights and curtain go. Have a great second act. Hey, everybody. I am here with the composer, lyricist, and book writer of Krampus Night, Gavin Brock. Hey, Gavin, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm good. Thank you. Nice to see you. Great seeing you, too. Your work is fantastic, and something that I really appreciated finding out about you after I sort of got to experience your work is that you are a primary school teacher in London. Is that correct? I am a primary school teacher. I'm I'm a music teacher, so I'm very fortunate to have a job where I literally just teach music all the way through the school. Um, and I've been there for the last six years. I, I love it. I do love my job. <laughs> so when you say music teacher, like choirs and bands and all of that stuff? We don't have bands. We we do have choirs. We had, It's basically sort of classroom teaching. Um, so I'd be teaching uh, things like uh, how to read music and lots of, lots of singing and cl- using classroom instruments. Um, the end of year productions. Um, last year we did Godspell. We've done Oliver. Yeah, those always go down really, really well. Um, so I try to bring as much musical theatre into the school as possible with singing assemblies. This year we've done a lot of The Greatest Showman and the kids seem to really love it. You know, they kind of stand, <laughs> six, seven-year-olds standing there giving it all going, this is me. You know, they love it. <laughs> they have a lot of them come in seeing Greatest Showman before you put it on. Um, a handful. And some of them ended up requesting things like Rewrite the Stars and things. So some of them know it quite well. Um, and some of them could be quite ambitious <laughs> in this selection of songs. I'm just really glad the sort of musical theatre and, you know, Pasek and Paul and all those composers are kind of getting a, a much broader audience than they, they did when, when I was a, a musical theatre nerd of six years old, you know. 
Absolutely. I think back on that time for me and like if I hadn't sort of been like in a pseudo theatrical family kind of a thing, then I probably wouldn't have known about a lot of these things because it just wasn't in my school in that way. So on behalf of all like grown up music theater nerd kids, I want to thank you for your service. <laughs> no, absolutely. It was the same. Like um, When I was in secondary school, I think was when I really got into musical theater because we had nothing in primary school and we did a production of Godspell and that really stayed with me. Now, I'm not I'm not a particular religious person but the tone of it and the love and joy of it is so contagious you know that last year I had quite a difficult year six and so I brought it in with them over the course of them kind of getting used to and getting to know it their attitude sort of changed you know I think musical theatre sort of has the power to do that you know Pippin and things, you know, they're, they're life enhancing. And I, I really value that about musical theatre. Absolutely. So wonderful that you are introducing these brilliant works to, to these kids that they can get early exposure in all of this. No, absolutely. I've got to think about what we're doing for this year's Year 6. Um, and I have a feeling they're going to go for Greece. Um, and I've, I've got misgivings about Greece and what the message of Greece actually is. But, you know, I, when I was their age, I didn't question that. And I think they, they, they'll get a lot out of it. I think they'll, they'll definitely find a lot of themselves in the characters. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's probably where we're going to go at the end of the year. But we shall see. <laughs> now, you've mentioned a lot of musicals that have originated in the United States states in terms of things that um, a lot of the kids seem to be interested in and take a lot of meaning from. Are there any musicals from the UK that they're also sort of that jazzed about, so to speak? Well, we did Oliver a couple of years ago, which was written by Lionel Bart. It's a very famous uh, British musical, obviously based on the Charles Dickens novel. And what really surprises me about that is even when you show the movie from, you know, the 1960s to very urban contemporary children, they still resonate with it. There were still scenes in it where Bill Sykes is about to smack Oliver, you know, he's sort of got him bent over his knee and he's about to whack him. I remember there'd been pandemonium in the classroom because they're so invested in the characters and the story. Um, And yeah, they were just absolutely gripped by it. And I didn't know how they'd respond to it, but they absolutely loved it. And the production went down really, really well. Even musicals from the 60s and 70s still have something relevant to say, you know, the kind of more contemporary ones like, you know, Six and everybody's talking about Jamie and things like that. You know, they've got some great material in them. I'm not sure I'd do it with a primary school setting. I've done it with theatre schools. Um, I do a, a summer school in the north of England called Stage Ed, and those sorts of materials go down really, really well. So slightly more adult themes. It, it's kind of hard to to choose sort of UK musicals specifically, because as much as uh, I'm kind of waving the banner for the UK over here, the, major- the vast majority of musicals really come from the US. So you mentioned about stage ed. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I sort of cut my teeth doing a lot of like summer camp musical theater things. You know, just a lot of like, okay, in this week, we're going to like start from nothing. And by the end of it, we're going to put up a show and it's during the summer and everybody gets really close. So anytime I hear about these kinds of programs or these sort of other kinds of schools outside of main schools that everybody ends up going to, I'm fascinated by it. Stage ed is basically a summer camp and it runs for five weeks over three different sites during the summer holidays. So we have two weeks in the Isle of Man, two weeks in Liverpool, uh, one week in Hull. And uh, every every week you'll get a new intake of children. So depending on how many kind of sessions they've signed up for. And, you know, you'll learn a song from a, a, a maybe about six songs for the juniors and then another six songs for the seniors. And they'll put together a show basically for, you know, covering, I guess, 12 different musicals. So they'll sing songs from, you know, Something Rotten and, you know, we did it it's a musical and that went down really brilliantly songs from mean girls and all these sort of contemporary musicals and you know, the, the children love it so we'll have um one or two choreographers working with them we'll have a musical director a director to do the drama and yeah it's all kind of everyone getting together and putting on a show and yeah it's a great experience i love it even though you know obviously i work full-time as a teacher it feels rejuvenating for me to kind of go away and do that and do the thing that i really love more than anything like sort of come back feeling really refreshed even though it's still you know still working with children still working hard you know is again is I, I gain a lot so much from it i really do 
So you've talked a lot about how you are putting musical theater into your classroom and how you're sort of fostering the next generation of people who are um, the creatives or at least the appreciators of musical theater. I'm also curious to see how working as a teacher has sort of influenced your work. And I mean, a really obvious way to talk about that is in the musical that we just heard, Krampus Night. Okay, so my first sort of foray into mixing my creative life with my school life uh, came a few years ago when uh, basically I, I wanted to write the end of year show for year six and uh, I was working at a school as a supply teacher and you know basically I didn't have the demands of being a classroom teacher so I could kind of go away and do that and I had an idea of doing a pantomime that I found based on Robinson Crusoe which I which I really enjoyed and I, I wanted to write the songs for it um, and the head of year said well our children are crazy about Roald Dahl can you do can, you, can we create a show a show based around the stories of Roald Dahl and I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> I was absolutely mad about Royal Dahl as a child. And so we ended up basically creating a review called Pure Imagination. And I wrote a song for George's Marvelous Medicine. I wrote a song inspired by a line in The Witches called As Long As Somebody Loves You. And basically took that line and kind of created a story from it and wrote a song for Sophie and the BFG called Dream in a Bottle, but kind of extrapolating the, the theme of, you know, someone wanting to communicate something but have, not being having the words to express it but expressing that through a dream yeah really creating this this lovely thing that the children really enjoyed being a part of and fantastic mr fox had a big country hoedown number yeah it was it was tremendous fun from there uh obviously i you know i, I discovered I, I loved writing for children when this came up um basically the previous year uh, a friend of mine um caitlin burt uh, who i'd worked with in bml she had got into season one and so it's Sheila the Tiny Turtle musical she wrote um, with her writing partner Amir and you know it, it was amazing and then when the opportunity came up to take part in season two I was like right I'm gonna write something for this and so I had an idea kind of whirling around in my head based on the story of the Krampus now the children at my school they they, they come with their, their, their problems <laughs> um, I, I did kind of when I when I discovered the story of the Krampus I thought there's you know there's some life in this the, you know the idea of um, naughty children being punished for ha having received a warning but then ignored the warning and then you know kind of karmic justice does its thing is sort of central to quite a lot of children's literature if you, you need you know going back to Roald Dahl you know so Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is an exemplar of that and also uh, the shock-headed Peter the, the German folk stories about you know the boy that played with matches and he gets a warning and then um, he ends up catching on fire. Uh, you know, there's a tradition of children's stories like this. I kind of had the children in mind when I was creating it. Now, the problem I've got is I work in a religious school. Uh, it's a Greek Orthodox primary school, completely randomly. <laughs> <laughs> and so things like the the nativity, I'd, I'd be on very, very thin ice <laughs> performing this at my school. So I kind of knew that um, I, I would be writing it for an an audience that, that are separate from not you know they can listen to it and I think they'll get a lot out of it I think they'll really enjoy it actually the cheekiness of it um, but yeah I think I, I don't think the, the senior management would <laughs> be in any rush to put this in front of the parents themselves but, but I, I haven't brought it into school yet <laughs> Of the shows that you put on at your school, what is the funniest mishap that has occurred in one of your shows? This is such a lame answer. Like the, the worst thing that happened was when we did Godspell, you know, I told the children a million times not to touch the microphones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course, they, can, they cannot help themselves. The first thing they do when they come in, they're sort of talking into the microphones. So I turn the microphones off. And then by the time we start, the, ready to start the show, we go to turn the microphones on and they're not working. And I'm like, you know, the parents are sitting there and the head teacher's like, can you, can you say something to them to, you know, because they're expecting the show to start like, any minute now. And so we were all kind of frantically trying to sort out the microphone and like literally you just want to kind of put you know put your teacher face on and be like i told you not to mess around with the microphones you can't do that in front of the parents so you're being very very polite um and yeah just uh, i think I, I made an announcement we were going to have to basically either project their voices super loud or move to a different part of the stage to do their songs and they did they managed to do it a couple of times then literally 10 minutes into the show the microphone came on and there was a 
massive like uh, feedback noise and while I was playing the piano so that <laughs> that song went a little bit awry <laughs> but, but the kids picked it up for the rest of it but yes kids do not play with the microphones you've been told <laughs> that is your warning before disaster strikes like in the best of the children's stories except your, your teachers know what they're talking about listen to them <laughs> So you've mentioned the naughty list, and I'm sure your students would say that there's nothing you've ever done ever that has landed you on the naughty list. But if there were something, or something at least you were concerned about at some point, what might that thing be? I hate to say this, I was a very conscientious child, and I think I always had a sense of sort of karmic justice in the way that children do, that if you do something wrong, that there's going to be a consequence. But, you know, I did, I did, of course, I, I did things that were stupid or I did stuff that was wrong as a kid because that's what kids do. Very often they would have involved my younger brother, Stuart, in some way. Something very stupid that we did. We decided that we were going to tie our bikes together with a rope so that we'd ride around the playground, sort of conjoined by these these bikes. And um, well, you can kind of see where this is going. I was on the back end, and of course, I I put the brakes on, and he literally went flying over the top of the handlebars like Superman. I just remember him like coasting in midair for like ten seconds before he landed. So clearly the Krampus story is an interesting one for you, because not only have you written uh, the Krampus Night, our musical, off of that one, but you have just written an entire novel that uses elements of the Krampus story in it, right? That's right. A, a novel that's the first part in a trilogy. So this has ended up becoming quite a big thing, right? So basically, I discovered the, the entire Krampus legend from a television program called Inside Number Nine, which is a compilation series. So much like Bite Size Broadway, it's a different episode every week and a different story. And there was an episode called The Devil of Christmas, which introduced the, the legend of, you know, Krampus. I just remember listening to it and being like, how have I never heard this before? Krampus is a children's story it is it's a boogeyman for children you know behave yourselves or dot 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 and so I, I really wanted to kind of bring bring it down to that level so the protagonist of it were you know eight and nine years old so the, the the whole concept the initial concept of it was about the little boy Darius and we don't really see much of the Krampus in the of Krampus in the story but it's it's the legend it's kind of lurking in the background sort of thing and it, it was good it was the, the idea was to create a story around which I could create a full two-act musical. So when I was coming up with the story is that he's ended up in the underworld and someone else, and I'm not going to say who, is also in the underworld with him because they're not such a goody two-shoes as you thought they were. And so they have to work together to, to actually, you know, find a way to, to get out of that situation. We find out much more about Darius's background and what happened to his father and that he was imprisoned for having stolen a Christmas present from a department store where he was working as a security guard because they didn't have much money you know all this kind of backstory (laughs) stuff alabaster snowball this is a book that has just come out right that's right. Um, it launched in Waterstones in Charing Cross Road a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I was very lucky to have a lot of colleagues come and support that. Um, and we had, a, we had a great time. I managed to give a, a reading of it. And I had a friend who was hosting the event as well. It was really prestigious and fun. Um, and I'm, I'm very lucky in that we've just had an audiobook recorded as well. So it, it can be accessed globally. You can uh, download the audiobook from uh, Audible and Amazon and Apple Books as well. I think you can download the ebook and the paperback is also available to order as well online. Um, yeah, so it's it, it's it's a perfect Christmas story. Is you know obviously the themes and everything in it. I, I say so myself. <laughs> 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 Are preparations for the second and third books in the series coming along? They are. I, I, when I when I wrote, when I finished writing the first one, I, I was super motivated. I was like, right, I'm going to release one every Christmas now for the next two Christmases. We're going to go boom, 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 and then we're going to release the spin-off, which is the story of Darius. And is you know, so in three Christmases time, we'll have the whole series wrapped up. And then you know, life intervenes. <laughs> you know, I'm a human being with a full time job and all the rest. <laughs> of it. So you know, I'm, I am working on the second 
second one. Um, the I've written the first quarter. I'm going back now, having written it and taken a little bit of time away from it to kind of refine the things that are going to help to drive it to the midpoint. I think as you're discovering the story, there are th you, you need to get your ducks in a row first. You need to get certain things set up right before you can kind of move forward with it. But I'm, I'm really excited with the way it's going. I like the twist that it's taken. I like the tone of it because, you know, as is evident in Krampus Night as well, I've got very much a horror, you know, horror comedy kind of um, tone to my writing, which again is probably influenced by, you know, things like Roald Dahl and Point Horror and all the books I used to read when I was a kid. The, the whole thing really, the, the, the trilogy is really building up to the backstory of where the Krampus comes from. Why does he kidnap the children? Where did he get these various artifacts from, like the sack that allows him to take children away into the underworld? And how does he fly around at night to travel around the way that Santa travels in his sleigh? That he's got another mode of transport, which is invented in the first story. Um, so it's all laying the groundwork, really, for, I guess, the Darius story. Again, I, I really want to revisit this at a later point and really extrapolate more from it, because I think, I think it does have more life in it. But when the opportunity came up to basically passing it down to its fundamental elements was really useful, actually, to kind of say, what, what is this story actually telling? What, what's the real core of this story? Um, but there, there's so much life in it still, I think, because definitely not the last that you've seen of Darius you talk about like how attracted you are to these horror kinds of elements and you're also writing a lot of things about Christmas and the holiday season. That season along with like horror or spooky stuff has always sort of been ingrained from like a Christmas carol with like ghosts coming and haunting haunting rich old men to amend their ways. Do you think that there's something in that in like this, this festive joyous season that like attracts you to the sort of more horrific elements in it? Um, I think I think anyone that knows me, you know, would know that if I wrote a, a Christmas story, it'd be much more along the lines of something like Gremlins than, you know, A Wonderful Life. Because <laughs> <laughs> of my sense of humour, really. I've got I've got a bit, a bit of a dark sense of humour. But I think, you know, there is something fundamentally Christmassy in these kind of, you know, it's, it's even in the song, isn't it? The most wonderful time of the year. You know, there'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories and all of that. That, you know, telling ghost stories, I think, is a, is a you know, long-standing Christmas. Christmas tradition and so Christmas and comedy horror you know that they, they go together quite well there's something atmospheric about Christmas that you know that's that's really enjoyable it sounds like a big impetus for you to be writing novels and novellas is a little bit of like, oh, like, let me write this story here because musicals work very well when they're adapted. Is part of the goal in your back of your mind like, oh, if I were adapting something to a musical, this is the sort of material that I would love to adapt? Absolutely. I mean, that that's really where Alabaster came from. It was out of a desire to have a story around which to write a musical and around which to write songs. You know, having said that, of course, I've already written a few songs for Alabaster. The, the way it ended up coming out was be because it's set in this sort of magical world where you've got flying and you've got, you know, a lot of very complicated sort of special effects. I wouldn't, you know, until it's a movie, I don't think I'd ever get the budget to have the flying sequences and things that would need to really make it pop. But I do see it as a, an animated film. I think I got to a point when I was writing it that I was like, this would make such a great movie, perhaps more than, than a stage musical. That said, <laughs> I'm not going to completely cut, cut that off because I went to see a, a production of Guys and Dolls at the Bridge Theatre recently, um, which had Marisha Wallace in, who I absolutely adore. And she's come over from you guys in, in on Broadway. Yeah. She was in Something Rotten in the original cast of that. And she came over to play Effie in Dreamgirls. And she's really made a name for herself here. And uh, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of it and she was in Guys and Dolls. I, dig I digress. Um, and the and this particular production was a, an immersive production. So like, elements of the the floor would literally rise in front of you, and you would be ushered around by um, people dressed in police outfits, in you know of the of the of the, of the style of, of the time. And so like the stage would rise out uh, from where right in front of you, and so you would suddenly be in the meeting with uh, the gangsters. And I just remember for the two and a half hours 
was that we were watching the show thinking, oh my God, I could totally see Alabaster flying around on his flying snowboard in here. And I was like, and if we have this scene, this would be a brilliant thing to do it in. And this would be amazing. And this, so yeah, it could definitely be done. Like in my wildest dreams, in my wildest dreams. But yes, I, it, it definitely, I remember being in that space and thinking that this is where I'd love to do it. <laughs> So you mentioned all this great musical theater writing talent coming up around you, and I can't help but think about BML. Can you talk a little bit about BML and what this program is? BML is the British equivalent of the BMI workshop, uh, the Lehman Engel workshop. Oh, he, he began it over there in the US. And basically, you get partnered up with a librettist or a composer or a lyricist to, on different projects. So you get buddied up with a different person each week. And so you make connections with people that, you know, and you learn how to collaborate with people, um, which is a brilliant skill to have. And I'm in the advanced group now. Um, and there's very many of us that have projects that we're all working on that we bring in every week. And like to showcase songs from and talk about, you know, talk about where they're going or ways to improve them and things like that, or to get feedback on them. And Krampus Night actually was, <laughs> as, uh, as some of the people in BML like to go, BML'd. It's actually a verb now as well. To, to BML something is to, is to have it <laughs> torn to shreds and have people pick at like different <laughs> details of it and say, well, could you do this? Could you do that? Um, and Krampus Night was BML'd. Um, and I won't, I won't say too much about the things that, that the comments that were ignored <laughs> i did stick to my guns on certain things um i, I one of the I, I, i'll fess up actually one of you know I, st- I, st- I stand my ground on this one but the song i hate christmas uh, some of the comments were like if this if this child is really really angry then why isn't the music also really angry and you know my answer to that is like i could have had the entire score in a minor key all on one you know in one tone but you know i kind of wanted it to go from up here, this very Christmassy place, and to establish the world of Christmas first, and also that feeling that you get, like if you're, you know, we, you know, we're not always all taken in by the spirit of Christmas. And as you go into the d- department stores, and everyone's running around in a crazy mood, and you know, you're listening to Mariah Carey sing "All I Want for Christmas Is You" for the fifty billionth time, you're not always in the mood for this endless kind of Christmassy vibe, you know. And that I think there's something in that, you know, where you're in a bad mood and everything around you is Christmassy that that I kind of wanted to capture for Darius in that moment rather than it be you know a rocky angry kind of song because it's not that I, I think more than the, the feedback that you get from the other people is the fact that you allow the songs to hit the air for the first time in front of an audience and I think that's where you that's where I learn the most because even before I discovered BML I used to go to open mic nights and so I would take a song along that I'd just written and sing it in front of an audience for the first time and I think until it was actually performed in front of an audience I couldn't actually say it was finished I think once I'd sung it in front of an audience I would know what the what the lyrics actually were for the final you know finally because I knew how they hit the air because even when I write at a piano I don't sing to myself I sing them in my head <laughs> just have this really strange thing I get embarrassed to like singing in my own room which is you know crazy if I'm in my own space but if I if I kind of do it all in my own head and then perform it and then I'll know and I think BML definitely facilitates that in a, in a nurturing environment I mean we, we do kind of tease each other for sort of being scathing or tearing each other's work down but it's really not that you know it, it is done with a, a very nurturing intention <laughs> so you've spoken a lot about the character of Darius and how you have big plans for this kind of character. Is there a Darius in your life? Uh, that's a very naughty question, Jonathan. You're going to end up on the naughty list for that one. Because as a teacher, <laughs> as a teacher, I, I certainly have met one or two Dariuses uh, in my teaching career that certainly spring to mind. I think <laughs> I had in mind when I was actually writing the story. Not anyone specifically, but you know, these things end up being an amalgamation of different people and by the time you've created this character that amalgamation also includes a big element of yourself but yes I, I, I do definitely have a few people that Darius was inspired by likewise Sally Ann was also inspired by the child of a teacher and I'm not saying whether it's past or present or anything like that <laughs> <laughs> but um, but she is also named after uh, a, a child that I used to go to school with and I, I think that's fair game because because, you know, we've lost touch and that was many, many years ago, so she wouldn't even know. 
Now that children have discovered the first Alabaster Snowball book, and I dedicated it at the end, I put, I put a small mention to two of the children who read it for the first time while it was still in manuscript form, and I, I thank them for it uh, at the very back of the book. Now I've got an army of children that want characters named after them, and they all, they all let me know this. And, uh, I've, and I, I, I've never done this. I've, I've never named kids after anyone that I've known in real life, because obviously that would be that would be very dangerous territory but they are actually begging me to do it um i i, I don't think i could even do it i, I could i i couldn't because I, I i would have them in my head when i'm writing the story then <laughs> i wonder if there come a certain point where you would have to be like okay of all the people i know what are the people whose names i have not used great that's that new character's name <laughs> right exactly <laughs> but actually coming up with character names is is a challenge in itself like you know you, you when you're writing i i set my I, I find writing stories significantly easier in some ways because i can say i'm going to write 500 words every day for the next three months and by the end of that i'll have amalgamated enough for a first draft you know and then i do my 500 words in an evening and then i go on with my life and I, I can just chill out watch tv spend time with my partner do whatever but when i'm writing a musical it's like chipping away at a statue and there's no limit there's absolutely no limit to which you can kind of tell yourself to stop especially when you're doing all three things like writing the book and the music and the lyrics because you know you're constantly chipping away and chipping away and chipping away that it's only very gradually that you start to see it come to life there is something satisfying in seeing the pages build up over time in a book rather than kind of having spent hours and hours and hours on something and then not really be aware of what's changed you know because the change is so slight or or so small or you've forgotten what it looked like in its previous incarnation <laughs> yeah but you know they they did just different styles of creation but i I'm, I'm glad now having done it that I'm, I'm glad that I have. I do have a terrible habit, though, of not just not just writing one, but like maybe it's the, it's the you know the kind of um, obsession that you need to write a musical that they end up being trilogies or they end up being like I'm going to write a series. It's just just write one book, like make life easy for yourself. I've tied myself into a trilogy with Alabaster now, and I'm like, why did I do this to myself? I've got to see this through one way or another, or else people are going to be disappointed. Um, yeah, my, my partner's fond of telling me, it's like, you know, you're not Taylor Swift. Nobody's waiting for the second album. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do put this pressure on myself to, you know, get all this stuff done. Um, but it, it's, it's that thing about having an idea that until it actually becomes something tangible, it's just an idea. Like, I need to get it from there into a form that I can share with other people. And that's the most satisfying thing about, you know, being an artist, especially in this sort of medium, is like, having a lucid dream and then having somebody else be able to tell you that dream in vivid detail that you're like that came out of my brain and I put that into your brain and that's a really cool thing to be able to do you know it has been such a pleasure talking with you it's been such a pleasure working on your show I for one I would like to speak on all of our behalves not just the production team here but also our listenership and now saying that we will be anxiously awaiting for your next work out whether it's a novel or a musical or whatever so you can you can happily be a a sort of taylor swift in our world so thank you very much that's wonderful thank you so much jonathan it's been a pleasure too thank you for more information on gavin brock and his work check out his website www.gavinbrock.co.uk don't forget to buy your copy of gavin's book alabaster snowball and the naughty list available now at barnes and noble audible and amazon.com you can also find links in the episode description and of course there's plenty of extra talk back we just didn't have time to cover in this episode so hop on over and subscribe today at www.patreon.com slash broadway for backstage access and plenty of other exclusive perks All right stand by for blackout don't go away we'll be right back after this blackout go from author Gavin Brock comes the Christmas fantasy adventure Alabaster Snowball and the Naughty List. When factory elf Alabaster Snowball disobeys Santa and adopts the Krampus in secret, he sets off a chain of events that exposes his community to untold dangers and threatens the very existence of Christmas itself. Bursting with action and adventure, it's the perfect holiday gift for kids from 1 to 92. 
Alabaster Snowball, and The Naughty List. Available now from Barnes & Noble, Audible, and Amazon.com. Well, that's it for this special holiday episode of Bite Size Broadway. We'll be taking a short winter break, but don't worry, we'll be right back with the rest of Season 2 in the new year. And if you haven't listened to Season 1 yet, there's no time like the present. We've got a whole season of mini-musicals you can cozy up to on your favorite podcasting platforms. And if you want to give a special holiday gift to a certain mini-musical podcast you may be enjoying, we'll take it in the form of a five-star rating and a brief review. If you'd like to support us on Patreon and get exclusive access to exciting perks, head to www.patreon.com slash bitesizebroadway or click the link in the episode description. Happiest of holidays to all our friends around the world. Until next time, everybody, I'm Jonathan Lynch, and this is Bite Size Broadway. Broadway is an Indie Works Theater production, created by Jonathan Lynch, an executive producer, Christopher.